Well, good morning, everybody. <clears throat> Last week, uh, we started reading and thinking together about what Scripture says uh, about baptism. We are uh, thinking together and talking together about what our baptism means for those of us who have been baptized or what it could mean for those of us who have not. And uh, I guess the one thing that's really clear in Scripture is that our baptisms are never just something that happened to us a long time ago. Our baptisms form our identity and form the way that we live as followers of Jesus every single day of our lives, right up until this very moment right now. So this morning we're going to look at what baptism means for our life together. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 12 for us, verses 12 through 27. You can follow along uh, where it's printed in the order of worship. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would, the sense of, where, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the bo- in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me uh, pray for us. Father, we just uh, sang those words, and we confessed that uh, to the ones uh, who seek you, they find you to be good. And so you know, of course, those of us who just kind of mumbled through those words, you know those of us who sang them with full conviction, you know those of us who sang those words uh, who don't even really know what they mean, but hope they're true. (laughs) And so we ask, Father, that as we talk about this word together, um, that we would find them those words that we sang to be true, that we would find you to be good. 
that we would see the grace that you have shown to us in Jesus again, and that you would change us by it. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Well, I have to think that uh, one of the staff has mentioned this before at some point. I can't remember. But, but one of the things that some of the staff here, not all of the staff, um, but some of the staff here like to do is to try and scare each other around the office. Uh, I don't remember how that became a thing, but it has been going on for years, and it is uh, pretty great. And as the years rolled on, I think it gets harder to do. I mean, anyone can, you know, hide around a corner in a place like this, here or back in the offices. There's lots of corners. Uh, But for those of us who participate, we kind of expect that. And so you have to really work at the surprise angle of the thing. And I mean that literally. Uh, Last month, Jeff Schneider came to the office. He told me that I could tell you all this, by the way. Uh, A lot of you know Jeff. He's the pastor who left back in 2017 to plant Boulevard Presbyterian Church. One night, uh, several years ago, very late after a meeting, he got me uh, so good right here behind the pulpit that my knees actually buckled. I'm not kidding when I tell you I almost fainted when he scared me. So when the doorbell rang last month and it was him, I sprang into action. I ran out to the corner that I knew he would have to come around, but I didn't just stand there. I crouched down on all fours. That's the surprise angle that I'm talking about. Nobody expects a grown man to do that. (laughs) And when he came around the corner, I barked like a dog as loud as I could. And he involuntarily screamed and ran to the corner of the room. (laughs) To say that it was satisfying does not come close to capturing the joy that I felt in that moment. And I do not think it would have been quite so good without that surprise angle from below. It definitely got his attention. And I mention that because the Apostle Paul takes a surprise angle. In the part of the letter that we just read together, it is meant to get our attention precisely because we do not expect it. It is right there in the first verse we read where he introduces the image of the body. Let me read it to you. Just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with the church, except surprise. That is not what Paul wrote. (laughs) That is not what he wrote. I mean, you expect him to write, so it is with the church. Everything else he writes is literally all about the church. This body metaphor is justifiably famous and beloved in the church. It has been from the first moment it was ever read in a church. It's all about the church. So you expect him to say, This is about the church. So it is with the church. It's this wildly important metaphor for understanding who we are and how we live and serve together. But this is what Paul actually wrote. Just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. You expect him to say the church, and he says Jesus. So, is he talking about Jesus in this passage, or is he talking about us? 
And the surprise answer to that question is yes. <laughs> we talked about this last week and the week before that too, this idea that is everywhere in the New Testament that what is true about Jesus is true about his people too. He has gone through death and into life, and so his people go through death and into life. The Father called him beloved. The Father said he's pleased with him, and so his people hear that they are the beloved, and that the Father is pleased with them too. Jesus is the heir to all of the good that God could possibly ever offer, and so his people are co-heirs with Jesus to all of the good that God offers. What is true of Jesus is true of the church. So that's why there are places where the Apostle Paul can talk about Jesus and mean us at the very same time. It's how he teaches us about our union with Jesus. Sometimes the theologians call this uh, our participation with Jesus. In church, the way that we know that this is true, the way that we know that we have been united with Jesus, the way that we receive the benefit of our participation with Jesus, it is in our baptism. And you don't have to take my word for that. That's what Paul says in the very next verse. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews and Greeks, slaves are free. We were all made to drink of the one spirit. So church, this is one of the things that baptism means. It doesn't mean that we joined a movement. It doesn't mean anything like that. Baptism means that we have been taken up into the persons of the Trinity. And we have taken on their name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Baptism means that we have been joined to Jesus himself. Baptism means that we are now Jesus' body. I cannot uh, explain to you the spiritual ontology of that. I can't explain how that happens, like it's some kind of mathematical equation, because it is not a mathematical equation. It's a mystery, and it's a mystery the angels long to figure out. But the best thing that any of us can do is reflect on the metaphors that Scripture gives us to try and get at that mystery so that we can figure out how to live in light of that mystery. Metaphors like the one here about the body. By the Spirit, we have been baptized into it. We have been baptized into Jesus. We have been baptized into his body. We have been baptized into the church. And that means a lot of things. One of the things that it means is something that I like to mention from time to time, and that's this. Our baptism means that we cannot be Christians without the church. Someone who says they follow Jesus, but who keeps Jesus' body at an arm's length is a category mistake. (laughs) As far as the New Testament is concerned, it doesn't make any discernible sense. To be united with Jesus is to be united with his body. And so being a Christian without the church is simply uh, pretending. I mean, you can try to be a Christian like that. Many have, many do. But it doesn't lead to lasting good or lasting health. 
And that's just the truth, because our baptism tells us that's the truth. No, no one's ever said that it's been, been easy to be part of the church. No one has ever said that it comes easy to be part of the church. <laughs> Basically, every letter in the New Testament was written because it, it isn't, and it doesn't. <laughs> it isn't easy. It doesn't come easy. And that's definitely why Paul wrote out this body metaphor for his friends at Corinth. So here's what happened. They had asked him about uh, spiritual gifts. And uh, he's glad they asked because, as he put it, he doesn't want them to be uninformed about spiritual gifts. Um, and the main thing that he wanted them to know is back in verse 7 of this chapter where he says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. In other words, God has given gifts to everyone. Everyone has things that they bring to our common life for the good of our common life. Everyone. That is such a beautiful, <laughs> such a bracing truth. And it's one that all of us really would do well to sit with for a while. Maybe that's, uh, maybe that's something to do this afternoon a little bit. Think about the fact that we have all, all of us, been given a manifestation of the Spirit for the, for the good, for the common life of this place. All of us have that, that. All of us have that manifestation of the Spirit, starting with the, the babies and the kids downstairs and spreading out to every last one of us. We all have it. To each is not an overstatement on Paul's part. It's just a fact. We are incredibly diverse in our gifts, and at the very same time, we are incredibly interdependent. And that's how God set it up, and it is it's breathtaking. And that's what Paul tells the church. But, of course, he knows how things can sometimes go, and he knows how they did go in Corinth in particular. People with, uh, with showy gifts acted like they were a bigger deal than everyone else. And those who did things more unseen sometimes felt just like that, unseen and unappreciated. And of course, there were some people who figured they were just along for the ride. They, they would get the benefit of everyone else's gifts and not bring anything to the table for anyone else. And so Paul says very simply, that is not how a body works. Not anybody. This is not how Jesus' body works. You have been baptized, for goodness sakes. And then starting in verse 14, he speaks to the ones who feel unseen. And by extension, to those who are not seeing them. And it is uh, gentle, and it's comic, and it's beautiful. He imagines a foot saying, well, you know, I'm not a hand. So I guess I'm not really part of the body. And then he imagines, you know, an ear, like some kind of Eeyore, you know, saying, well, you know, I'm, I'm not an eye, so I guess I'm not part of the body. Paul reminds those parts, he reminds those members that whatever they might think, whatever they might feel, it doesn't make them any less a part of the body. And then he asks everyone, the whole church together, to imagine, what would it be like if they weren't around? What would it be like if it was just one big eye sitting around? What would it be like if it was just one ear 
just sitting around, just laying on its side. It would be grotesque and absurd and weird, and all of us would be lesser. And then in verse 18, he grounds all of this, all of this in God himself. As it is, God has arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose Many parts, one body, it's a gentle reminder to those who might feel unseen that they are, in fact, very much seen by the one whose pleasure and the one whose delight matter the most. And at the same time, it's a not-so-gentle reminder for those who are not seeing them that they are out of line with this grand and beautiful design of God. And these are the ones that Paul moves to speak to in verse 21. But before I mention what he says to them, I do want to say that this image of the body, this metaphor of a body was very, very familiar in the first century. It was mostly used in political writing and political speech, and frequently it was wielded as a tool of power. It was wielded as a tool of power to convince the subordinate classes to stay in their lanes. And I only mention that because I want to highlight how thoroughly Paul eviscerates that. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, Paul says, on the contrary. It's not just that we shouldn't ever say nonsense like that. It's that we have to go out of our way to reverse that nonsense because that nonsense pollutes every square inch of our fallen world. And we have to work as hard as we can to reverse and overcome it. On the contrary, Paul says, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker, they are indispensable. On those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And church, this is the kind of reversal that beats at the very heart of the good news. This is the kind of reversal that is at the heart of the cross and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. You hear it everywhere. He has brought the mighty down from their thrones. He has exalted those of humble estate. God has chosen the low and despised in the world, even the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Or Jesus' story, <laughs> where some come up and they grumble, these last work only one hour. They only work one hour. You've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. And Jesus says, you better believe it. Because that's what grace looks like. The last will be first. And Paul illustrates this um, by talking about how we treat our unpresentable parts with greater modesty. He's being coy here, and I can appreciate it. We all know what he's talking about. In this illustration, the, the clothes that we wear are the greater honor that we are called to bestow. It's like Paul's saying, you know, you make sure <laughs> that you don't leave the house with your pants off. So pay at least that much attention to the members of the body around you who may seem weaker or unseen, or less visible. Give them honor. Because they are indispensable. And church, there's only one thing I know of that grows an appetite in anyone to do that. There's only one thing I know of that grows any appetite in me to do that. We have to grow in our apprehension of God's grace to us. 
We have to grow in our apprehension of God's love for us in Jesus. We, we have to grow in our apprehension of that great reversal that led to people like us being loved. <laughs> we have to have the faith enough, the courage enough maybe, to admit that we were the one-hour workers who got paid ridiculously more than we should have ever been paid. And when we grow in our sense of just how far Jesus has run to find us, just how much he has forgiven us of, just how much he loves us, then we will have this overflow to be able to love and honor others. So I don't know, you know, exactly where you fall in this metaphor this morning. I do think it's possible as a Christian to be all over the place at different times in your life, different stages and different places, different locales sometimes feeling unseen and unappreciated and maybe pulling away because of it. Other times feeling like maybe we are, you know, kind of all that and not seeing others, not appreciating them or honoring or loving them. This is part of life together in the church and that's why we have this passage of scripture given to us for our good to remind us that our antidote to that is our baptism and all that it seals to us and all that it means for us. We were baptized into one body. In our baptisms, we were united with Jesus. In our baptisms, we were united with each other. And all of those things that might have formally separated us, all of those things that would have kept us apart or made us fight or compete or live out of suspicion and fear to one another, all of those things have been washed away in the cleansing flood of our baptism. And part of growing up in our faith is to remember, in spite of all of the voices, in spite of every voice that would tell us otherwise, that that's who we are. We are Jesus' body. Our baptisms say this to us every day, and, and part of us maturing as followers of Jesus is living out of that identity. People united with Jesus, forgiven and loved, and given every good gift for our common good and for the life of the world. God's made us this way. Incredibly diverse, beautifully interdependent, that there would be no division in the body, that the members would have the same care for one another, that if one suffers, we all suffer. If one is honored, we all rejoice. Let me pray for us. Father, you know uh, what we're like, <laughs> and you know that we forget every day. We forget every day, every minute, sometimes, that, that we have been baptized. <laughs> that we have been made part of one body with each other and with your son. And so we ask that you would do uh, whatever it is that you can do, whatever that you will do, whatever we can do for one another to help us to remember that that is precisely who we are and that you have made us that way. That's the way you chose to make us, diverse and interdependent for our good and for the good of this world. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.